ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, I'm James Valentine and this is The Belief Series. I love listening to a good interview, a deep dive into someone's life, a conversation where you feel like you're sitting right alongside the person. It's great. And I wanted to do something in that line, but there's so many great ones already. Is there anyone left with whom Richard Feidler hasn't conversed? So I thought, why don't I focus on one aspect? What about people's beliefs, their core values, the ideas about life they've derived from their life? Hence this series. George Miller is an Australian writer, director, producer, and really best described as a filmmaker. In his youth, he and his then-partner Byron Kennedy made Mad Max. It's a bizarre film, that first one, but it captured audiences around the world, and we're now waiting eagerly for Mad Max 5. He made miniseries for Australian television and big movies for Hollywood, like Lorenzo's Oil, The Witches of Eastwick with Jack Nicholson, Susan Sarandon, Schur and Michelle Pfeiffer. There's Babe, there's Happy Feet, there's a documentary on the history of Australian film. I knew he'd be someone who would have gone deep on creativity, art and its place in the human experience. I asked him first, who do you believe? And in my mind, I was asking more about, does he believe the news and the newspapers and what information sources do you trust? His answer was completely unexpected. Well, there are a few people who've had a big influence uh, in the way that I've formed my thinking of the world. I, I would say the first one, the most influential when I was young, was Bucky Fuller, Buckminster Fuller. Oh, yeah. And then subsequently, there would be Joseph Campbell mm. on storytelling. Buckminster Fuller was an American architect, systems theorist, designer, inventor, and a kind of seer about the world in general. People who heard him often became devoted acolytes. Kind of like Elon Musk without the ego and with a similar kind of strike rate. Sometimes brilliant, sometimes wrong. In 1969 at New South Wales University, it was an architecture lecture. He spoke for two hours and in those two hours, he kind of crystallised a lot of things that were floating around my mind I was groping with. In the middle of that time, he said, I am not a noun, I seem to be a verb an ongoing evolutionary process and integral function of the universe. In those words, he basically defined everything wow. for me. Yeah. I'm not a noun, I seem to be a, a verb. And what a fascinating way of, of rethinking how you, yes. how you approach life. It changed me. It, it, it changed the way I approach life. At the time, I was supposed to be a medical student, but I realised at the time... I happened to be studying medicine. I wasn't just a medical student. Mm. And that really opened me up to a kind of a, a divergent view of the world rather than a convergent view yeah, of the world. And yeah, yeah. It you know, went in all sorts of directions and ended up being a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, Do you think you've been a verb? We, we are all verbs. <laughs> We're absolutely all verbs. Everything, nothing is static. In fact, I've come to basically, you know how they dog people and cat people. For me, there are noun thinkers and verb thinkers. Noun thinkers, for me, tend to be more bewildered by change and uh, verb thinkers almost embrace it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because they they realise it's inevitable. 
it's part of the adventure of existence, I think. I mean, this is so exciting because I've never heard this belief framed in that way. Yeah. Like, I would tend to think of, my, of myself as, uh, I see the world as fairly chaotic and change is happening all the time, best to go with it. Uh, yeah. But I hadn't thought of it in that sort of term, a noun person or a verb person. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, that, that was Bucky Fuller. Yeah. He pointed out that he was near Kitty Hawk when the Wright brothers first flew and the, the distance they flew was 120 feet. He said within four decades, the wingspan of the bombers in World War II was more than 120 feet. Yeah. Two decades after that, we were sending people into space. Yeah. It was the first person who talked about the exponential growth in technology, mm. and he said he talked a lot about having to embrace it and recognize it mm. and, and manage it wisely yeah. if we were to, to survive. Yeah. Joseph Campbell was the other one he mentioned. Campbell emerged during the 70s when George Lucas mentioned that Campbell's book, The Hero's Journey, had been a huge influence on him. Campbell was a professor of literature who read his way through the world's mythologies and found constantly recurring themes and stories. In the 1980s, it was compulsory to watch a series of interviews he did with Bill Moyers called The Power of Myth. I got interested in cinema, started making movies, and after the first movie feature that we made... This is the first uh, Mad Max. The first Mad yeah. Max. I, it, which I found to be a really bewildering experience because I <laughs> never made a film before. <laughs> it can be a bewildering film to watch. I, I just watched it again recently and went, oh, this is far weirder than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, a really hard film to make very low budget and we were all of us uh, inexperienced and um, but somehow uh, after thinking I wasn't cut out to make movies it was a success uh, all around the world except in the United States mm. and in Japan they saw Max as a, a samurai the, the French call it Western on wheels the mm. to the Scandinavians he was some sort of Viking lone Viking and so on and so on and so on. And I thought something's happened here mm. that, that's outside of my, my ability as a filmmaker. So really made a point of trying to understand why. And Joseph Campbell gave, gave us the answer. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing those uh, those series on on VHS that were made yeah. by you know public television in the in the US and and doing the same sort of thing. Going, oh, okay, wow, there's a lot there. This this notion of we're all telling the same myth. Every every culture has the same myth, the same the origin stories, exactly. that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and um, he was really interesting because you know unlike Carl Jung who who basically most of his work was based on intuition and a hunch. Joseph Campbell uh, spent, he did the hard yards, he, he spent 40 years virtually alone in a library mm. looking at the templates which you could, uh, across all storytelling in all cultures, all folklore, all the great mythologies, all the great religions and so on, and he saw these patterns which mm. he called the monomyth. And in particular, the hero, the hero myth, and what distinguished the hero from from all, all, all others, mainly the notion of the relinquishing of self interest for the for for a greater mm. good. That basically is, I think, at the core of all the great mythologies, 
which and he, and he he said very wisely when he was asked what is mythology he said other people's religions right. <laughs> and he was absolutely right if from buckminster fuller you're getting a sense of change from joseph campbell there's the eternal there's these the themes that go through our life there's the eternal stories there's the yes, eternal humanity what what a constant in us as humans mm. because it's evolutionary and the patterns are already set once you believe that, I, I think some people might think once you believe that, that all stories are the same or contained in every culture, it might be a limit to your storytelling or to your creativity. N- n- no, it's, it's the opposite, really. The patterns are the same, but the stories evolve according to the times. We deal with the same phenomena, the things around us uh, that are confusing. We deal with them through story. Mm. We, there's no question that we're hardwired for story. And if you go back 40,000 years, like our own indigenous culture, in the, you, you don't have much to explain the world around you. Mm. So there's only your, your stories, your song lines or, or whatever. That is pl- applied to every culture yeah. to make the world coherent, to make, even for your own survival, you have to find a way of explaining everything around you. We discussed whether science had blunted any of that, and George is a big reader of science and physics, and he said, no, not at all. It only enhances, and used an Einsteinian anecdote to illustrate. He was asked, does everything in the collective thing we call Einsteinian physics negate Newton? He said, no. He said, no. It's like living in a city. The city with its buildings is the Newton point of view. He says you walk, you walk out of the city. You start walking up a road, climbing a hill and a mountain. You always look back, and that city is still in the context right. of everything else. He said, but, but you're seeing broader vistas, I guess. Now, this was what's so great about Einstein. He said that the higher you climb, that mountain, the greater the mysteries, the unknown becomes. You look back and you see what's known, but the mysteries are even greater than you could ever imagine. So this understanding of Campbell's universal myths and story notions and a scientific understanding suggested to me that George might have both, an empiric view of the world and a faith. Faith? Faith is a, a tricky word. Faith is can be noun thinking. If it's if it's rigid, then you're in trouble. I'm, again, going back to Joseph Campbell, he said the problem with religious dogmatic religious belief is that they concretize the metaphor. The metaphor is for is, is for us to understand whoever we are in mm. time, whether you're some early culture without with very little science except the. Imbi- empirical observation of of the world. You know, until we understood that the Earth went around the sun on an axis, there was absolutely no way of explaining the seasons, Hmm. winter and summer, the fact it's tilted on its side. And and there was no way to do it. So you had to give agency to something. So you invented gods, often lots of gods, and sometimes it was one God, to explain. They were metaphorical. Mm. And they're powerful and important because they give you understanding and comfort and a way to find your way, navigate existence. Mm. That's the thing that 
Campbell was really on about. And he said when we concretize a me- metaphor and make it absolutely rigid, it closes off understanding those mysteries, I yeah, think, that, that, yeah. that Einstein was talking about. I would imagine that you still believe there's mystery, that, that you're, a, you, you know, you're, a, you're well-read, you're, knowledge, you're, you're knowledgeable, you're dealing with contemporary technology all the time and contemporary science and contemporary storytelling. But I would imagine that you still think there's a mystery, there's another, there's something oh. else. Oh yes, <laughs> oh yeah. It, it, I'm, I'm. I think Einstein explained it well. Hmm. The more you know, the greater the mysteries yeah. are there. The more, that's why you've got to invite knowledge. You've got to have the courage. The big, the big thing about science is that it's skeptical. It questions itself all the time. It's not dogma. It's not rigid. So it can grow. Hmm. And you know, one of my favourite quotes is uh, Paul Davies, the physicist, who said. Science is a surer way to God than religion. I think that makes sense to me. George has a belief in these fundamental cycles and truths in the world. He sees that knowledge only reveals more mystery. I wondered if we were still making sense of the world through story, watching Netflix series, a Marvel film, the next Mad Max. Are we still finding out who we are by absorbing story? Absolutely. There's, there's a massive ap- appetite for it. And I think it's important. It's not – people often think it's just distraction or it's um, entertainment to, to pass the time or basically get away from, the, from, a, from a chaotic world. I think it's the means by which we manage to, to comprehend a chaotic world. I, I see that in all stories. It goes back – I don't think it ever changes. Yeah. Uh, and even if we're just seeking it for entertainment – that's what happens to us by the end of the two hours yeah, of the dark. It's entertaining because, because there is nourishment on it. And yeah. it's never been any, any, any different. You look at the way we tell stories to children. The same stories are told over and over again. The most powerful ones have learnings in them, which is almost impossible to kind of break down. Mm. One thing... You, you, you should never do is to ask a kid, you know, why do you like watching Pinocchio over and over and over again or listen to Hansel and Gretel over and over again, yeah. yeah. no, listen to that story over and over again. We, as young humans, process the world through story. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's Hansel and Gretel, you might be dealing with, with abandonment by, by by indifferent parents or whatever, so uh, or... or or struggling against, you know, the temptation of a gingerbread house or, mm. or, or something like that. Mm. There is nourishment in that story. Mm. I think it's in the Marvel movies. I think it's the, in the so-called high art movies. It's in the low stuff made by what people used to call the vulgarians. It's in mm. Shakespeare. It's yeah. everywhere. There is learning in, in, in every culture. What do you believe about cinema? You know, I, I thought, oh, I'll watch a couple of your films and so I've, you know, I've refreshed myself about your, your work and I found your Century of Cinema made, oh, yes. made in 1995 about the history of Australian film. I went, oh, that's yeah. interesting. You know, I'll, I'll have a look at that. And in that, you're, uh, you're optimistic about the next, about the 21st century, about what's going to come. It was pre-internet, you yeah. know, it was made as the, as the internet's coming yeah. into being. It's pre-digital. So you're yeah. tending to see, I, I imagine you're seeing filmmaking as staying much as it is as it had been 
for you. And I wonder whether it's changed in, in such a significant way. The films we're making now are significantly different. The industry is significantly different than what, what you might have imagined. Well, I couldn't imagine making films back then in the way that we do now. I mean, it's quite a- astonishing. Bucky Fuller, who's, you know, where that could have been yeah. the Wright brothers and now, yeah, now right. we're, we're, we're going to the moon. Yeah. I mean, I've just walked out of an editing room and we were, in 95, we were among the first people who got onto, into g- digital filmmaking, mm. particularly with the movie Babe, when we waited 10 years for the digital dispensation where we can actually make right. pigs talk. Right. <laughs> and there was the time of Jurassic Park and, and, and yeah. so on. It's remarkable what the people can do today. You don't need the pigs now. N- not only have the tools of cinema changed, but audiences have changed. Yeah. We speed read movies now. We, there's so much story. We're so, as I said before, we're hardwired for story. It's part of how we make meaning out of life. There's absolutely no question about that in every culture, mm. yeah, wherever yeah. we are in time and space. Yeah. What do you believe about our telling of Australian stories now? And again, I'm sort of thinking about that century of Australian cinema. You know, you were you were summarising a century which finished with a very golden period of Australian storytelling. Yeah. You know, a, a good thirty years of great Australian films telling great Australian <laughs> stories. Are we not telling the Australian story perhaps as clearly as, as as we once did? Are we not as clear what it is to be Australian? What happened to Australian cinema when in the so-called re- re- Renaissance, uh, basically starting in the 70s. For that first decade, uh, essentially what we did was recount our history. Mm. So every film was a period film. There was, uh, and even going back even further, you look at the films of Charles Cheval, Mm. and, and, uh, you know, he did Jeddah, he did Sons of Matthew. Mm. And so when you have uh, Peter Weir doing Picnic of Hanging Rock, the, you know, expatriate British in the Australian landscape yeah. uh, and, and so on and so on through, all the way through, they were basically period films. Mm. And then we kind of caught up with, 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 with our history. But then there's always cultural evolution and fairly, fairly quickly people are, um, well, two, two things are happening. We're catching up with our history until we run out of what we used to call parish pump. Stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've done and Ned Kelly. We've we've done Ned Kelly. We've done seven Ned Kellys one way or another, and now and the culture's changing. We're becoming so we're telling uh, stories. I think that's where it's so great to see the rise of indigenous filmmakers. Mm. Those stories. I mean, remember this is a culture that basically everything yeah. is explained yeah. in an oral performed culture with their art. So that story is incredibly important. As George says, he's been there every year as the technology available to filmmakers has advanced at an extraordinary pace. But what about now? Is AI the future or the end? I'm really interested in how also recently we're all talking about AI. Hmm. And, um, and, you know, I've been particularly interested in its application to medicine because that was my background Hmm. Mm. way back in the past. I've recently been lucky enough to get into that. At the same time, I'm watching what's happening in, in, in the making of moving image. And there are people who are saying, 
oh, oh, we've got we've got to put the brakes on now. We've got to stop it. We've got to stop it. Do we know? You know, this is we're in jeopardy. We're all in jeopardy. Well, as we know, the the you know the cat's out of the bag, or the horse mm. is bolted, or whatever. And it's no different with any technology. It's a question of do we have the ability and the mechanisms to basically monitor it so it's not harmful. Mm. I'm really astonished by those few moments in time when one individual or a collective individual can actually make those major, major insights that change everything. It's it's usually science-driven, by the way. The biggest changes is not uh, is the in, in human history yeah, yeah. and there's moments of human inspiration that are purely out of thought yeah, yeah. now we should actually be in a constant state of wonder and amazement, really, yeah, <laughs> at everything yes. that's going. I mean, we're sitting in a fairly high-tech room as well. Yeah. You know, this, is, this is like an editing suite or a mixing room or something yeah, like yeah, that. Like, yeah. what can be done in here yes. uh, in this day and age would be would be remarkable. Which is so different from 25 years ago. Yeah, that's right. Or, that's or, right. or 30 years Where's ago Where's the Steinbeck? What have you done with that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You seem, I, I would say, I would believe that you're optimistic. Are you, are you optimistic about our future? I'm curious about our, our future. It's like watching the next episode on a when you're binging some yeah, yeah. some show that you love, yeah. or turning the page on a book, or scrolling to the next part of the story. It can go many ways, and it's the unfolding of the story that's intriguing. I think. Yeah. But of course, you've got to be optimistic. That's not to say there's not caution. You you start off every enterprise, even the enterprise of existing, mm. moving forward in time with trepidation yeah. and optimism and hope and everything in between. It's, yeah, yeah. it's, I think that's who we are in, 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 in life. There's nothing predictable. It's always changing. We are verbs. Yeah. We're, uh, yeah, yeah. We are back to being verbs. Yeah. All this storytelling, all this making sense of the world through story, what does that make George believe about who we are? We're basically herding creatures, there's no question. Why do bees behave collectively in mm. the way they do mm. why why do kangaroos mm. or, or or any creatures yeah uh, so we are uh, that way as humans yeah. and we're contradictory we are capable all of us of evil and great good it's astonishing how successful we've been look i'm drinking from a bottle of water mm. do you know how i have to how many people anonymous people I have to depend on to yeah. make sure that that water is okay for me to drink. Yeah. That it's not toxic in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. We're not down at the well. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, every time we're in an aeroplane, you don't know the pilots. You yeah. don't know the guy, in, in, uh, the, the engineer who made sure that, uh, you know, that, that all the mechanics of the plane was working, all the computers on the plane. You don't know the traffic controller who helps it land. The people living around the airport are trusting every hour of the day mm. that planes fly over, that the planes go going to land as regular as clock, clockwork. Yeah, yeah. The only time we hear about planes, you know, is when one crashes. Yeah, yeah. And that paradox, you know, that's contained within us is then also contained within our extraordinary success. We're amazing. We're astonishing. Look at what we've done. And we're destroying the planet at the same time. Yes, yeah, that's <laughs> through the that's, bottle of water and the plane. <laughs> that's the dichotomy and the paradox of yeah. it all. With someone like George, I'm fascinated to hear his thoughts, his beliefs about creativity. Creativity is something that I've been thinking about 
ever since I, c- I could remember. I've been lucky enough to have uh, a twin brother. We're not identical, but we, for the first 20 years of our life, we were in every class together. Mm. So we had almost identical experiences. And the way that he observed the world and the way I observed the world had a variation. And we loved telling each other, analyzing the day and and telling each other stories. And we went to medical school together. We we got the same marks in our, you know, leaving as they called it back Mm. then, matriculation. He ended up being a wonderful doctor. I, without any real plan, drifted into filmmaking. And so I've, ha- I've had that experience and I've had the experience of working with all sorts of creative people, mm. from performing artists to people who, with whom you write the written word, the performed word, cameramen, designers, mathematicians writing code to make snowflakes in uh, Happy Feet, mm. uh, at every level of creativity. And, and, and what's really interesting to me is that the process is exactly the same. It follows the same pattern every time. And it's a kind of an interplay between the intuition, which is fueled by the intellect. The intuition guides the intellect mm-hmm. and the intellect fuels it. In every, every yeah. actor, every great actor I've worked with, every great sportsman, mm-hmm. every great athlete, every great scientist, composer, musician, at every level, it's the same process. It's no different to what I understand the great scientists or mathematicians, the breakthrough, yeah. those moments of inspiration yeah. that are purely driven intuitively. Yeah. And I often think we, we overstress creativity in the arts. It's actually everywhere. It's in engineering. It's, it's, it's in, in everything. It's in maths. It's in yeah. baking. It's in, it's in medicine. It's in every single practice. It's my motor mechanics quite creative. You know what I mean? Like there is no, there's no limit. Unbelievably so. Yeah. <laughs> You've got no idea. Yeah, yeah. We have no idea. Most of what people do, most who built, who made this microphone, yeah. who designed this that's microphone. Right. That's right. Look at all the work that goes yeah. into yeah. it. I don't think it should be like this. I'm just going to put it up a little. Oh, that's better, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's the exact the yeah. same. It's pre-human. When bees make their honeycomb, mm. uh, there's a kind of creativity that when a when a bowerbird makes yeah. its blue nest yeah, or whatever, yeah. there's a kind of creativity. Yeah, yeah. It's in every. A, 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 a child, uh, I don't know, playing with its Lego or yeah. at every level we're, yeah. we're creative. Anyway, that's, that's right. the big thing. But always, always that intuitive response coming out of the drilling of, yeah, the, yeah. of the intellect. We talk for an hour. I'm not surprised to find that he can articulate a meaning of life. Look, again, I, I go, uh, go back to Joseph Campbell, mm. again, who earned his authority by by really looking at as, many, as much that's common to all cultures and all human beings. And he said just about the closest to the truth about life's meaning uh, that anyone could get. He said, the meaning of life is the experience of life. To be joyful in the sorrow and majesty of existence is something like that. It's the experience of it. And in order to experience it and knowing that it's always changing, the thing that leads you into it is your curiosity. What, what, what's going to happen today? What's going to happen with, with those that I love, 
those that really drive me nuts. What's going to happen on the, you know, on the on, on the grander scale? What 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 great insights or great destruction uh, is going to happen? Where are we heading? Not only individuals but as a collective. All the all that all those narratives. I think it's why I've been privileged enough to be a storyteller. It's basically my job. I think that's about the the best yeah. I could, could explain it. I think he explained it very well. The life George describes of verbing his way through creativity, he was living it. We spoke in a film sound mixing room next to the edit suite in which he was working on yet another film. Yet another narrative that he will craft out of intuition and intellect and from which we will gain understanding of our human context. Next on the Belief Series, one of our most extraordinary musicians, William Barton, a sublime singer, a composer and a master of the Adaki or didgeridoo. I believe that music is like the sinew between the spiritual and the complex. That's next on the Belief Series. I hope you've enjoyed our episode so much that you're still listening and you'll leap over now, find that heart on the Listen app and subscribe. If you're listening anywhere else, do whatever they do to make sure you get every episode as soon as they're done. The Belief Series was written and produced by me with Chloe McKenzie and Grant Walter. Original music by Roy Valentine. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app. Hello, Jason DeRosso here, host of The Screen Show. If you enjoyed this conversation with George Miller, then come check out The Screen Show, where every week I introduce you to creatives from the world of film and TV. You'll hear from the best and brightest people working in the screen industry today, from here to Hollywood and beyond. Directors, showrunners, actors, screenwriters, producers, cinematographers, you name it. It's the best place to learn more about the films you're seeing on the big screen and the shows you're streaming. Listen at 10am on Thursdays on ABC RN or head to the ABC Listen app or your podcast platform of choice. The Screen Show with me, Jason DeRosso.